Welcome to Fire Service Court Radio. Although we're no longer radio, we are right in your face. You get to see what all of us look like, and that is just not a good thing. My name is Brad Pinsky, and I guess I'm your host today on whatever we're calling this now. And with me, you have John Murphy, Kurt Perone, and the Honorable Chip David Comstock, or David Chip Comstock. Thank you. Uh, so today, we're going to talk about um, something we've been talking about for a very long time. If you uh, have your head in your stand, uh, then you don't know this has been an issue. Uh, maybe it's an issue in your uh, firehouse, maybe not, maybe you're denying it, but we want to talk and look, we all know the volunteer fire service is dying a very quick death and we want to prevent that. We know that it's hard to get people into the fire service. Generally, police forces are having a hard time recruiting. So one of the things I really want to suggest and talk about is we look at why is that? And on a legal end, the lawyers actually have an answer. I think, you know, Kurt and Chip, I'll, I'll say a lot. If you don't fix it, the lawyers are going to come and fix it. Right. And we know if you don't fix it, we are going to fix it for you. We're going to correct the wrongs through the court system. And that's not how things should happen. So today, at least at the beginning, let's talk about and I don't know who has some background noise going on here, but let's talk about um, sexual harassment, sexual discrimination, harassment, discrimination in general in the fire service. And let's be blunt about it, recognize the issue and then stop it because you can look at this in a couple of ways, right? You can say, well, I don't care. We don't have a problem. Well, you're probably wrong. You can be very proactive and prevent the problem, but it's hard to believe you, you absolutely without looking have no problem. However, we also could say, well, let the lawyers fix it. If we lose, we lose. Well, that's very expensive in tight taxpayer money times, right? We don't have the money to throw out at all of these things. And, you know, you could say, oh, it's insured. Well, sexual harassment is not really insured. The defense might be, but not the payment. So we need, the lawyers are here to talk to the, the fire service and the EMS service, frankly, about how to curb this rampant problem of sexual harassment, sexual discrimination, harassment, discrimination, race discrimination, gender discrimination, all of these. And the reason I say this, if you if you watch on Mondays, you watch Kurt and I do our radio show, a different radio show with video. Um, it, we can't get away from the fact, and if you read Kurt's blog, which we've talked about forever, right, um, Fire Law blog, you cannot get away from the fact that almost every one out of four cases or so are going to be on harassment or discrimination. And it's always, they paid, they settled, they paid, they settled. So I'm throwing out to you, let's go in order, in order, not by people, of what would be if you wanted to tell someone the first step to looking to see whether you have an issue, what are the first steps, right, to, to see, do we have a problem? Should we cure the problem? It's a risk analysis, right? What's the, uh, we do it, we pre-plan on fire scenes. We do risk analysis all the time, risk management planning. What's the first step in this risk management planning? I'll turn to Kurt. And of course, you're going to have to unmute him. So I, I unmute and then it clicked on again. So apparently yeah, I should be good now. OK, so um, that's a great question. And uh, you kind of, you, you know, to some extent, I think all of us are kind of like, you know, trying to think it through. But um, I, I have very strong opinion on this and it kind of couples the studies I've been doing in forensic psychology with my experience in the fire service and the, the law, obviously, the, the law part of this. Um, it seems to me that we've got people in the fire service kind of on two sides of this issue. 
One side are people who um, bully others and harass others because they enjoy it. And I think that's that's one side. And I think often people tend to assume that that's the problem. And maybe it is the problem in certain scenarios, but not in my experience. Okay. I think most firefighters are adults. They're well-adjusted. Um, they like their pranks. They like their jokes, but nothing over the top. Okay. That they, they understand the limits. On the other side, we have um, people who um, have a lifelong victimology uh, approach to, to life. And um, they might have some personality um, issues, a difficult personality. They may also um, have some competency issues. And what I see is that, you know, and, and I, I would love if I was going to get a Ph.D., in psychology, this is the area I would like to study because what percentage of our problems are coming from disordered uh, perpetrators versus which are coming from disordered victims and they're perceiving things that happen in a certain way. So irrespective of that, the one thing that I would advise our firefighters is there is no justification for harassing someone because of their competency or because they have a difficult personality, that we have to clean up our workspace um, with the jokes, with a lot of the things. We, we cannot be going in certain directions, uh, gender-oriented directions, race-oriented directions with jokes, with pranks, with other things, um, that we've got to get serious. And, and here's sort of the the hardest thing for firefighters, I think, to accept is that we've got to desexualize the workplace, that we have a station on Monday where it's all males and the conversation is kind of like a locker room. And then on Tuesday, there happens to be one female working. When we haven't desexualized the workplace, we create a scenario where a person with a competency issue, again, pick your protected class. You have someone with a with a personality disorder or somebody difficult personality or incompetent. When they're struggling, they're going to say, oh, it's because of all those jokes. Oh, it's because of all those pranks. Oh, it's because of this, that, and the other thing. It's not me. I'm wonderful. I'm God's gift to my fire department. It's not me. It's all these other people. And I think we've got to recognize we've got to clean up our act and we can't just clean it up on, you know, Tuesday when there's a, a certain person in the, you know, in the station. We've got to clean it up on Monday right on through the rest of the week. Um, so that would be my advice. That's what we need to do. Awesome. And John, what would your first steps be? Nope. Mute. You're on mute. Still mute. John, your words are wisdom, but we can't hear them. And by the way, while John's trying to figure out his mute button, I will say you missed the blue attire. So uh, we had a memo this morning. We were all in blue. Um, Pop back. There you, you, click it, you click it and then you, you hey, step away you from the click. You guys are hammering me for myself for the last click time. Back. <laughs> anyway, what would your That's first right. steps be, John? So while our, our newly minted psychologist was speaking about the, uh, the desexualization of fire stations, I think it's a good idea. I was just uh, um, looking at the uh, survey that FDNY did on uh, discrimination and, and race issues and 
with the new Commissioner Kavanaugh apparently is trying to set, you know, lots of different new standards, which really irritates a lot of the old guard uh, firefighters. Um, but I think a couple of key things that uh, popped out of that um, uh, survey that was done is, uh, first of all, you know, FDNY is the largest department in our country. Um, and so on a survey that responded, they got 4,000 respondents, which is significant in a survey, right? Um, indicated a couple of key things. Uh, one, I think there's a enculturation of the sort of this discrimination, harassment, uh, the good old boy network. This is the way we've always done it. Um, this is our fire department. You don't belong here because you're a woman or you're not competent or you're black or you're a lesbian or a gay and we're going to do everything we can to get, get you out of here. The second was that, um, even if they did, uh, they had the policies, which we've always talked about, um, that you need to have good, workable, enforceable, uh, policies. Um, they, a lot of the, uh, aggrieved employees don't, re- report um because i think and the, the way I, the impression i get out of the survey is that there's no action taken and so if you're a, a firefighter and you're getting harassed um you go to your lieutenant or your captain your captain says you know tough shit pardon my french but i'm we're not doing anything about it it's just it's just the way it is here in station 27 and and if you go to the battalion chief or the assistant chief um, it still is this sort of, um, we're not going to do anything. Um, you're a horrible employee. There's been all these reports that have been done and that it is, um, uh, just the nature of the fire service to engage in these sort of, of activities. There's, I think there's one, um, not one, probably several, but I think there's a recent either pending, uh, litigation where a firefighter, um, who's black sues a department. And then he sues the diversity officer um, for, you know, retaliation and those sorts of things. And I, and I think what you I'm beginning to see, and I've, we've seen this and talked about it, is that if the top management does not enforce uh, these policies and try to change the culture of the organization, then we're going to have this sort of rampant, continuing discrimination that goes on um, uh, in our fire service. Uh, and I know Chuck, that can I, can uh, I Congress jump, can I, and the president, uh, current president, has signed. Say again. I just, I, no, I just wanted to, to kind of, uh, sure. kind of follow on on what you're saying, and because it's it's exact, you're saying exactly what I was saying. You're saying it differently, okay? But I want to explain why those company officers are not reporting it. They're not reporting it because they don't believe there's actual harassment going on. They think that the employee has a personality disorder or they're a problem employee or the person has competency issues and that they're using harassment and their protected class as an excuse. And that's why the company officers are not reporting it. And I think that's what that's you're absolutely right. The company officers have got to treat it even though they think it's a bogus claim, and it may very well be a bogus claim, it still needs to be investigated because by not investigating it, they're compounding the problem, okay? And and roughly roughly one out of 10 people right. has a personality disorder by the numbers that I've seen. And so you're talking about a hype, and this, this is not 
limited to white people or African-Americans, or it's, it's one of the most consistent statistics across psychology. And so that pick your protected class, one out of 10 is going to have a personality disorder, and that's going to cause them to perceive things that might actually not be harassment to be harassment. Okay. On the other side, it could be someone who's doing the harassment, like you said, that someone is who's going to actually go to someone and say, we don't accept you because you're a lesbian. We don't accept you because you're gay or whatever it may be. That person could be a person with a personality disorder. Okay. So you, you can't get away from this issue. We, we need to upgrade our training for our company officers to recognize this and to not follow the easy path, which is to just tell the person, look, you're not cutting it here, and therefore you've got to put up with this harassment and say, no, okay, you're making a complaint. We're gonna we're gonna do it right. We're gonna handle it. We're gonna do an investigation, and then if the investigation is unfounded, well, then you're gonna to have to deal with it. But we are gonna do the investigation. That's from my person. This is not statistical. My personal experience. That's that's happening more than someone actually being harassed. And it's not to say people aren't being harassed. They are being harassed. But what percentage of it is is which? That's that's the the undetermined question. So just kind of finishing out, and I, and I can appreciate that. I, I just want to finish out my thought process here. I think that, you know, the, so the question is, do we do more training? So there's diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Do we do more communication training? You know, can we talk to each other better? And then how do we, you know, how do we bring new people into the organization with um, all of the, you know, after the condition of employment letter or conditional employment, um, psychological exam, physical, all that sort of stuff. Where in the psychological component of it is, are you a good play in the sandbox with everybody else without creating unnecessary disruption? Speaking of unnecessary destruction, Chip. <laughs> um, well, first of all, my, my first reaction was everybody in the fire service has some degree of mental illness. I mean, it's just a matter of degree, right? I mean, we don't, the regular folk on the street doesn't, aren't attracted to what we're attracted to. So I've always said that there's a, everybody's a little off kilter, but we have an, a certain acceptable amount of mental illness. And then, you know, then we have the stuff we, we have to deal with. Um, and my next thought was that the people who need to hear the sermons are never in church. And here we are going to talk about this. And, and the, the, the people that Kurt are talking about are going to be the folks who are really going to be resistant to addressing head on these very issues. And so the question is, how, how do we how do we provide that to the troops, to the supervisors in a meaningful way that's going to have an impact and actually make a difference. And I think that's part of a secret, but, you know, I, I'm going to go even further back. I get, you know, one of the questions, how do we identify an issue or a problem? And I, and I was thinking, you know, if you're, if you're in charge of the department, again, this is, this is where I struggle because I think the people who have the problems are so totally unaware of it and don't do anything. But, you know, if you're, if you're head of a department, whether it's a small volunteer department or a larger department, the first question is, does your, does your department, reflect the community 
Is there a reason why we don't have any women or we don't have any minorities, particularly when our, our, our community is made up of minorities? And, and that might suggest that you have some sort of systemic problem that needs to be addressed where people either aren't joining or people are leaving and you need to take a look at that. Um, and, and sometimes it takes a, those internal um, questionnaires by like the city's doing uh, to find out what is the culture, because often the folks at the top who have the best ability to make those changes are oblivious to what's going on down you know, on the streets. And, and I think that that can be a problem. It's, it's, it's maybe, um, maybe it's easier to gauge in a smaller department, but I don't, I think, you know, even small volunteer departments, you know, that's the way we've always done it. Uh, this is, you know, we look around and, and we've had these discussions before about, you know, things like recruiting, um, you know, that, that, uh, what, what does your department look like? How are you recruiting these people and, you know, recruiting your, your, your potential firefighters and are they leaving and if they're leaving, why? And it, it, at the end of the day, um, the fire department has to be inclusive in the sense that we have to treat everybody with respect. I mean, that's, that's, it, it's really a basic premise, right? In life, treat other people with respect and, and, and with decency and people will get along. But unfortunately we seem to have our share of, of, uh, of problem, I'll call them problem personnel uh, that, Again, uh, going down a Kurt scenario um, that we have to deal with and find a, and find a way to deal with those folks. So that's that's my my gauge is looking around right from the beginning. And I think if you don't see uh, a, a diverse fire department, then you've probably got some issues that need to be dealt with. So, anyways, you know, I was having this discussion at FDIC with a uh, firefighter, a uh, fairly well-known firefighter who I definitely won't mention. And the individual, I said, I said, do you think there's a harassment problem in the firehouse um, and discrimination problem? He said, of course there is. He said, because some people shouldn't be doing the job. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, how could you say that? But on the other hand, let's go back to our very basic principles of Maslow, right? Maslow's second hierarchy of needs contains safety. We have to feel safe. And not to get too far off point, but I was looking at a presentation, which I believe the three of you plus Dr. Beth gave in my conference a very long time ago on bullying and harassment. And one of the things, one of the studies that you all referenced on bullying, and again, somebody has, uh, you know, background noise. Um, one of the studies you referenced in bullying was that there is actually both a reason for bullying and a benefit for bullying, right? We believe that if we put you through this harassment, bullying, torture scenario, and you survive it, that we now welcome you into the club. Forget whether you're, you know, of any protected class or anything, just whoever you are, we put you through this harassment and bullying diatribe and you survive it. You're welcomed in and, and, we trust you, right? We believe that you're strong enough, mentally strong enough to do the job of firefighting. And I think there is definitely some of that why sexual harassment and other types of discrimination harassment continue because we believe that the big strong male is the safest male. And I always laugh because I'm five, six, right? And 135 pounds wet. And Yet I'm always the one who got told, well, you crawl under the car, or you crawl through the wall or you go up on the roof because you're not heavy. And I'm like, OK, well, 
we use the small guy and small person more than anybody else because the big guys can't fit places. What they didn't come out right out and say is, Brad, you're expendable. Right, that's, that's- right. <laughs> I always wondered where everybody was when I finally made myself out. In any event, so I, I think there is a safety component. So I, I'm not justifying any harassment or discrimination, but I want to recognize the mentality that causes it because, you know, this firefighter said to me, he said, listen, he said, 110 pound females are not going to pull, pull me out. And I said to him, am I okay to be in the service? He's like, yeah. I said, I'm 130 pounds, five, six. I'm not, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. It isn't it though. What, what we're talking about is if, if you can have drills, training, whatever, that's actually reflective of the job duties, that's okay. And we're not, we, we're saying this is a, this is a drill that accurately reflects, or this is training that accurately reflects what we have to do. And, and whoever's going to do it, regardless of gender, race, whatever, that's what you, that, that's it. And it re- actually reflects the job. It's when people are, are putting people in positions that don't, re- that doesn't reflect the job that, that the problems come up. So isn't that one of the first steps? Create accurate job duties, create your essential job performance requirements, right? Define the job that reflects the why, not the who. The, the interesting thing, if I, and I, and I, I think I was at that there when you had that particular conversation. And, and one of the things we talked about is within a fire, within a fire department and particularly a larger department, right? You may have different job duties as a person who's on an engine versus a truck versus somebody on the rescue, right? And what, and what they may have to do. And, you know, the, the, the as opposed to the part where we have to do everything. And so, in some departments, we may say, look, the, the, the job qualifications for this job are different than this job. And, and we can accurately you know, show that that, that, is, that, is, that that's truthful, right? I mean, we're not just making stuff up. And, and I think one of the examples was, you know, is there a difference between a cook in, in the Army and somebody who's got to be on a SEAL team, right? Or different, different job, job duties and performance standards. Mm-hmm. So, John, you know, one of the things that you deal, well, you speak on a lot of issues, obviously, but, you know, one one of the focuses that you've had a lot is training, right? And training officer, liability, et cetera. And the training officer, and there's a reason I bring this up, is normally the first person you meet in your way into the, in your way to the academy, your way into the fire service, right? The training officer is your welcome person. You don't deal with the chief. You don't deal with lieutenants and everybody else. You're going through training. Is there a role for the training officer to be providing to, because think about it. Kurt and I discussed a while ago, a, a big lawsuit and um, at, at uh, the fire academy. And I, I think 10 years ago, wasn't there, John, you had spoken on a long time ago, uh, like a $20 million settlement at a training academy in Texas um, or some huge number. And I'm just curious what the training officer could do. Because to me, that's where we're seeing a lot of right probationary firefighters. Are, they're trying to cut them out right there. Maybe the training officer could have a role in this evaluation. And I'm not saying, oh, let's protect all everybody just because for the sake of protecting them, if they can meet the minimum job requirements, shouldn't we be protecting them? And if they can't, I don't know whether we get rid of them or help them get to the minimum requirements, but is the, how, how is the training, I'm sorry, how is the training officer in into this, especially at academies, John? 
And somebody's got something really loud and beach-like going on in the back. Uh, I think that um, part of this, can you hear me? See myself, I want to see that. So I think that the question is a great question. So I think that, yes, the training officer is the person that you see the most um, or their delegates, right? So if you're in an academy, you know, I think you're teaching them the basic skills of, you know, what our job is all about. And so as a training officer and your delegates need to know what that job is and then relay accurately to, um, uh, you know, your probationary recruit, your recruits, what that is. I think I just read the article that David Rhodes wrote in uh, Fire Engineering Magazine about trying to meet, because we're, we're seeing a different caliber, I think, of uh, recruits coming in, according to everybody who's making those sort of observations, is that they may, you know, and, and, the, and the thought is, well, you know, they may be lacking the essential skills of, for an example, uh, tools. And, I, and I've used that reference before. And so in David Rhodes's article, he says, I, you know, the bottom line is we need to meet the recruit where they are. I, and I think that's probably, that's an admirable goal. But the other part of it is, is that, you know, we, we have them uh, to perform certain functions and learn certain skills. And so at the end of an academy, they either pass or they don't pass. And I, and I think we have a tendency to become a, somewhat reluctant to fail people out of a recruit academy uh, because the intent is we spend a lot of money getting them there. Let's see if we can train them to at least make it to the end of their first year on probation. And so, um, and then the, you know, the other part is, and then you put people out on probation and then it gets into what Kurt talks about is that there's this sort of Ill illusion that they're, they're incompetent, right? Or there's an illusion that, you know, whatever, then that is the remainder of the department that becomes the de facto training officer uh, when these uh, young uh, firefighters, middle-aged firefighters now, um, you know, become uh, part of your organization. Going back to what uh, Chip was talking about, about volunteers, is that I just wanted to say that I think we need to be honest with our volunteers as to exactly what they're getting into when they come into our department. Because I think what we do is we put this illusion on that we're like, you know, rushing down the street in a fire engine with red lights and siren, we're going to save everybody's life. But the reality is, it's boring, Right. So there's days and hours and months and years of but all of a sudden this sheer terror because now we have a big house fire or a plane crash or a truck accident or a rescue or those sorts of things. And so we need to sort of take the volunteer side and say, let's providers. We do a lot of different things in our community and fighting fires and rescuing people may not be that, you know, that sort of primary focus in our organization. And then I think we need to sort of set our training standards to meet what the response needs are in your community and the people that you have available to do that. So Kurt, I want to turn to you for a second, because you said something, I, I don't want to ignore that there are toxic people, right? And and I, I don't know whether we like that phrase or not, but there are definitely people who have all through their lives, go through their life, blaming other people for their failures. And we definitely see that in the fire service. So I don't want to jump on as, as you perfectly did. There are two sides to the story, right? There's the people who harass and the people who perceive that no matter what happens to them as harassment is unjustified. Um, so let's talk about how are we, how should we deal with the people who really are of the problem and not 
not put the department in a position legally where we can't defend our decisions? How do we best defend and prepare for our decisions against those people who really are problems? Yeah, and that's, uh, I thought John was going to go there. He started to go there. But when we have those people in the academy, that's where we, we want to try to identify them. And there's a case, I believe it's Allen versus Denver, city of Denver, Denver Fire Department was decided last year. And Brad, you and I have spoken on the case. Excellent case. It's like a textbook for how a fire department needs to handle somebody with either personality or competency issues. Um, how do you document it? And what you don't want to have is drill instructors who are going to you know, behave like Sergeant Hartman in full metal jacket, because that's a recipe for creating liability unnecessarily. And that's one of the, I think, the lessons that we need to we need to work on our instructor core and our administration as well, that that kind of thing just sets up. And there goes John uh, that sets up. uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it sets up the department. Um, for a big problem. And the person could be totally incompetent. The person could be just a disaster as a person. But when you have that kind of Sergeant Hartman kind of mentality in your instructor corps, you're, you're like handing them, it's like teeing up the golf ball for the person to on a, on a sexual harassment or gender discrimination or race discrimination or religious discrimination or military discrimination or you name it. So we've got to train up our officer corps to recognize this problem. And it's not all that easy. And I, and I want to go back to something else too. Uh, hopefully I answered that part of your question, but it has to do with the harassment or what may, may, be perceived as pranks and jokes and things happening in the fire service. And Chip kind of alluded to this. There are people that want to eliminate any sort of humor in the firehouse, that they that anything that's funny, any any joke, anything has the potential to create liability for yourself or for, for your organization. So they want to kind of just, you know, this is a workplace and there should be no joking around and that kind of stuff. That is crap. That is absolute crap. And we've got to, we've got to call that out. Um, I, one of the classes I took was a, a course, it was an elective, uh, but it was really, really a good class. It was called Positive Psychology. And we learned about, um, you know, most psychology looks at, um, illness, mental illness, addictions, and and different things. So most psychology is, you know, looking at what's broken and how do we fix it. Positive psychology looks at what a healthy people do. And it looks at kind of on the positive side. And one of the therapies, I, I you're not going to believe this, okay, but one of the therapies that we learned about in positive psychology is a thing called humor therapy. Okay, and this is, you know, fairly last 20, 30 years has been. Why go out drinking with Chip? That's why, that's why, you know, if you have a friend that is um, full of jokes and things, that's why you enjoy being with them. Okay, but at at any rate, at any rate, humor therapy, very, very important. Okay, and it's been used in a lot of different things, uh, depression, anxiety, a lot of different things. But you know what? The number one, one of the best. um, Yep. (laughs) One of the best uses of um, humor therapy. Take a guess. What what is one of the biggest psychological problems that we have in the fire service? What would you think? 
bullying. I mean, well, think about it. Think about what's you know what what when you think about psychological PTSD. PTSD. Human therapy. Human therapy is a phenomenal treatment for PTSD. And the the fire services, without knowing it, we've had humor in our fire service for centuries. One of the things that I always think about as an example from TV that was 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 Mash, right? The, yeah, the show yeah, Mash, yeah. where I mean, here you are in, in in you know hell dealing with death on a regular basis, and here's two doctors that are just clowning around all the time, and you know, and making people laugh and doing stuff that didn't really hurt anybody. And you know, again, I, I always use that as as a, as a great example of a really crappy situation where people made light of it and, and, you know, get, and help them get through it. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the types of humor that I think we see in the fire service a lot and probably everywhere a lot, but is degrading therapy right? or degrading humor. We, yeah. we, yeah. right. We isolate somebody, we make fun of them. My God, if you're the person and think about this, I, I cause I'm thinking about what you're saying, you know, the, the all the, my, we should bring Dr. Beth in, but all the psychology in the fire service, if, if, how many of us are afraid to make afraid to make the mistake, right? My God, you make a mistake on scene or a training, you'll never hear from it. You make a bad call, right, on a on a fire, you're never going to hear the end of this. So people are terrified, I would think, to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. They maybe detract or deflect the fact that they made a mistake or have some incompetencies by picking on others or bullying others or pointing out the weakest link. It's not me. It's her. It's them. Um, so you're right. I mean, the psychology in the firehouse, which would be a great, great FDIC topic, people, um, the psychology in the fire service that leads to all of this is never spoken of, right? I mean, I, I think you're just opening up an amazingly interesting topic. Yeah. But, you know, and part of it is being able to identify what the people are. And I'm going to use myself as an example. I, I remember a call um, that I went to grab an extinguisher out of my command vehicle. Didn't realize that the pin was out. So as I pulled it out, the thing went off all over. I'm sure it. no one ever said anything to you about oh, it, right? No, no. <laughs> And that was probably 10 years ago. And every once in a while, I hear, hey, watch, you know, using the extinguisher. But, you know, the thing is, for me, you know, listen, I did it. It was funny, you know, and I, and I, I my, people give me a hard time. And, and I guess with my background in the job we all do, doesn't bother me at all. But mm-hmm. other people yeah. have more of a sensitivity, right? Yeah. To, we talk about being able to identify those people who, they they being made fun of or giving that hard time, they'd feel really bad. It'd have a much different impact. And so some things we, we then say, well, let's treat everybody like they're, they're hypersensitive and don't say anything and don't ever kid anybody and don't, you know, okay. don't go that path. And, and sometimes when it comes down to, and again, this is from a supervisor chief, fellow firefighters is know your people, right? If you really know the folks, you know, that, Hey, you give chip crap and he doesn't care. Other people, you have to understand that person, because of whatever issues, may have to be addressed a little differently. And so I think you have to be sensitive to how you, again, getting back to to just being a little bit kind with people, understanding them, get to know them. And, and that goes a long way. Chip, so I, I have a question for all of you. Well, okay. let me let me just uh, let me let me throw one thing out, because I use this in my class. Um, we have uh, Mrs. Smith lives in a building that's a concrete building, looks very much like our um burn buildings. 
Mrs. Jones lives in a lightweight wood trust building. Okay. We have an obligation to both of them to provide a service. We're not going to say, oh, we're not going in Mrs. Jones's house or we're not going in, you know, but the reality is we can do things in Mrs. Smith's house, the, the fire resistant building that we just, we can't take a chance on in Mrs. And, and you know what? Every firefighter who's competent knows the difference, knows how important building construction is. Well, guess what? There are people who are the equivalent of a lightweight wood trust building. And we need to train our officer corps up to the point where they can recognize them. And just like Chip said, it's not that we're going to discriminate against them. We're not discriminating against Mrs. Jones because she lives in a lightweight wood trust building, but we recognize it. We have to handle it differently. So so let me ask this and tell me whether I want to throw out a couple scenarios and maybe we can come up with more of them about whether this is discrimination or not. A female firefighter. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Hi, John. A female firefighter forgets the tools, right, when she goes to the front door. Yeah. Forgets the tool. Shows up at the front door, and the guy's like, well, you're the iron person. Where the hell are they, right? <laughs> and as a punishment slash training, for the next week, that individual has to carry around a set of irons all through the firehouse 24-7. Discriminatory or not? Stupid, yes. Um, childish, yes. Does, um, it, but does it prove a point, it, make a point? It, it, absolutely. But I, again, it's just like, why go there? Like, why, why go there? And if the person is well-adjusted and all of us, you know, all none of us are perfect, okay? We make mistakes. If the person's well-adjusted, they're going to be able to learn from the mistake and say, oh, damn, I got to remember to do that. They don't have to be treated like a two-year-old. Okay, so that that right there solves the liability aspect of it. Now, if the officer recognizes that this person is a little bit of a concern, their, their personality, I'm not sure that they can handle that. We're not going to do that. I, you, you know, you're, you're asking that officer to make that kind of a of a determination. But I think um, it's not going to be one thing that's going to that one incident that's going to lead to liability. But that coupled with several other examples could, in fact, make a case for discrimination. I think it's I would never do something like that. That's, I, I think that that example shows me the, the stupidity of how you treat people. And and I my answer is, listen, people don't like to make mistakes. And I would look at a person after a call and say, what what did you do that you could have done better? Well, I, I forgot my irons. Why did you forget your irons? Because this was going on. I got distracted. OK, fine. They're not going to make, you know, they, they forget the irons four more times and we better figure out what, what that is. But the fact that a person makes a single mistake, like, like Kurt said, we all make mistakes. As long as you recognize it, you approve it, you don't repeat it, end of story. But is it illegal? And Kurt will know where I'm going in a minute, but is it illegal? It's 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 not illegal unless uh, I had the, the female do that. But when the guy did it, I let him go. Right. And there's a perception aspect here as well. Um, one difference, I, one of the classes that I do is on, on liability. I, I actually have a timeline and I have the lawyer's timeline. And when we're talking about an apparatus accident or we screw up on a medical run, it's like one thing happens 
and then we're going to have a lawsuit. So that's kind of like the lawyer's timeline for an accident or whatever. When it comes to HR, what we actually have is we have that really? timeline, but there's going to be a series of things that actually show a series of dominoes. And there's going to be a series of things that happen. And that's good news for company officers because you can make some mistakes. It's not going to be just one thing. Like an apparatus accident, one thing it's going to lead to the accident, but uh, the lawsuit. But there's going to be a series of things that happen that's going to lead to a lawsuit in an HR case. This could be a very big domino in, in that domino progression. But there's got to be a series of things in order to create that severe or pervasive um, hostile work environment. So there was a case, Kurt and I did it on, our, on the radio show, and this is why I brought up the Irons case. So in that case, and Kurt, you should, if you remember, and you have a crazy memory for this stuff, instead of the irons, it was somebody forgot to put their gear back. And right at the end of the ship, they flew it up the flagpole. Right, right. And they said they would do it to anybody. They would do it to anybody. So the reason I'm bringing this up, and I want to ask if that's okay, because Mm -hmm. on its own, maybe it is, Kurt, right? But it's going to be used in a series of things you did to me or whatever Mm -hmm. I am, right? To say, look how you're treating me and your defense is we treat everybody like shit. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's what we see in no, and, 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 it, and it can work i'm not saying it, it, it it's you know if you do it to everybody but the problem is that person's perception is going to be different it, it could be different again if, if they live in a lightweight wood trust building i mean that's that's their mindset is i'm the victim and you know they're going to perceive it in a certain way and I, I think it's just it's an unnecessary risk of creating liability. Why why do you need to do that? So you know? so John, as for as long as you're gonna be with us now, is is uh, <laughs> it what I, I don't want people to see her and look at the lawyers and say, we're just ruining the fire service, right? Because lawyers, frankly, we could be making the fire service better. Um we should if, be. if, right? I mean, we, we really could. But our jokes is harassment, is any of it acceptable in the fire service? Or are we saying never again, right? We're not going to teach people. Because in the Marines, it seems to me, if you leave your rifle somewhere, you're probably carrying it with you and sleeping with it, right? Um, I, I'm just assuming, I don't know, we can ask Chip's kids, but I, 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 I don't have a problem with teaching people reinforcing lessons when they're not based on, well, you're female, I'll treat you one way, you're male, I'll treat you another. But I, I don't personally want to get rid of all of this. I wouldn't fly someone's gear up the flagpole like they did. But um, are, are, what are we saying, John? Get rid of all jokes in the fire service? Or is, is that where we are, that we just have to? I might not ask John any more questions anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so the, I think that you know part of this is that um, <laughs> it's backwards. I can't say that. There you go. Donate to John's it's computer. Great for all of us. So it's I think only- one of the things that we see. Um, and, no fun. We can't be making jokes. See, that's, uh, John's going to feel bad. Oh my god! <laughs> all right. So that's, uh, He's going to fire engineer. I'm. <laughs> Sensitive. I'm sensitive. So the so the the issue I think is that you know we have we have all kinds of personalities that come into the into the fire service. I know that when we came in, most of us older guys, and uh, you know 
we had fairly, I think, thick skins. So we did a lot of pranking. We joked. We did a lot of stuff. But sometimes it, it became beyond the pale, right? So was it offensive? Was it sexually harassing? Was it, you know, all of the things that we have talked about in the past. And I think part of dictates that uh, we sort of continue this sort of, 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 of like pranking or not so much hazing, but you know, the things that we find that are maybe funny to everybody um, may not be funny to everybody. Uh, so, you know, if you have 10 guys on your squad and nine of them are laughing and one of them's looking at you like you're some sort of a crazy person um, or, or I'm offended, then, you know, when do, do you stop doing that stuff in the firehouse? And I think what happens is family but sometimes we say, you know, we don't even treat our family members that way. Why are we treating our fellow firefighters that way? So I think that, you know, we need to kind of take the temperature of the culture today, as opposed to what it was when we came into the fire service in the 1800s, is that it's different, right? So as an officer or as a firefighter, we need to recognize the fact that, you know, not everybody is like us and people have different uh, upbringings and backgrounds and that we need to kind of temper our, you know, our joking in the fire department or joking in your fire station um, to probably what's morally or socially acceptable today, um, which may be in some cases pretty damn boring, actually. So, um, you know, and I think part of the memory of the firehouse is the pranks that were pulled on uh, pulled on us. So, I, you know, there's really no good answer, I don't think, that satisfies everyone who may be residing or part of your organization in the in the fire department but one of the things you just said is so important in the psychology going back to kurt but is in the psychology of understanding this because we want people who are like us again going back to maslow's safety hierarchy we want people who are like us we want people who understand the mission like we do why because i feel safer i feel better on scene that we're of the same mind that we're not right? That you're not going to go freelance or you're going to be there for me when I need to be rescued. We like that of the same mind mentality, do we not? Isn't that what leads to a lot of this harassment and bullying and we want to weed you out or we want to make sure you're tough enough for us? I mean, is there anything legally wrong with that mentality or is that what gets us into trouble? I think it's a liability risk, an unnecessary liability risk. When it when you go beyond, um, uh, like John said, beyond the pale. Yeah, I mean, why do we, uh, you know, let me throw this out. Why Why do firefighters have to have good senses of humor? I mean, in truth, statistically, we are four lawyers with a great sense of humor and one who's on the verge of a restraining order. But we, <laughs> I won't say that is. Um, but why is that, that everyone who comes into the fire service has to be able to take jokes give jokes, take crap, give crap, right? Why is that? There's no other job other than maybe a stand-up comedian why you have to be like that. Yet that is the requirement. You must fit in. You must be homogenous like us. You must look like us, joke like us, talk like us. And that's our definition. If we like you, now you're good. You fit in, right? But why do we have to be like that? 
There's there. I think there's an answer. And I think part of the answer is we work in team-like environments. NFPA 1582, when they talk about the physical and mental abilities, they say must be able to work in a team-like atmosphere under stressful conditions. Well, we recognize in 1582 that you have to be able to work in a team-like atmosphere. So is that what it is? You're not part of the team if you don't joke like us, you don't do things like us? I think we've been self-medicating with humor for centuries. I think that's part of it, that we've been self-medicating. And, and the fact that humor is now used as a therapy, that if you have PTSD or you have depression or some of the other conditions, that the, depending on the, the treating psychologist or psychiatrist, they may use humor therapy to help you and that it's proven to be effective, we've been self-medicating. And I think that we know that, and people who can't use it, they're, they're, they're perceived as being a little bit off. It's, well, I was gonna say, you know, I don't care about your gender, your, your sexual orientation, your, your race, religion, but I, I really do want you to have a sense of humor. Yeah. Right, it makes my, makes my life a lot more enjoyable if you can joke. and And, not everybody's like that, but you know, it's, it, you're going to have to, you're going to have to understand the psychology of those folks. But, you know, I guess when I look at myself and I have to choose who I want to be around, I want somebody who's going to have a great, great sense of humor. You know, that, that would be one of my requirements for all the reasons that Curtis described. So stay with it, Chip. Is that a legal defense though? Judge the humor, the joking, the pranks, the bullying are an important part of the fire service because we work in a team like atmosphere and that's why we do it. It's not personal. It, uh, it's it's separate out sense of humor from from bullying or jokes. You know, again, we we sit here and kid each other, and and I enjoy the sense of humor. I don't necessarily uh, view malicious pranks as humor. There you go. And is, isn't that really it? There near there needs to be a line. That's that's where I've. I think I've been trying to get us all to in the end of this is we're not saying as lawyers, stop joking. What we are saying is recognize when it goes too far and there needs to be somebody who does that. It can't be the person who's judging themselves, right? To say, it's like the safety officer, right? You, we're not all in charge of our own safety. I'm coming to you, John. Um, we're not in charge of our own safety. I mean, we are, but the safety officer is kind of that third voice. And maybe we need that humor safety officer in the fire service to say you've gone too far. Now that should be the lieutenant and the captain. When I became lieutenant and captain, I said, well, I guess I'm no more, no one's friend anymore. And I really meant that. And and I learned that from somebody, there's no more joking. So John. So I think the humor is a part of our culture anyway, right? So we, we laugh, we tell jokes, we go to shows, that sort of stuff. We engage, you know, at, at all levels, not only in the firehouse, but I think humor is is our sort of safety net sometimes. So when we can't see the seriousness of of uh, what the issue is, or we have a hard time formulating sort of um, uh, you know how that fits into our wheelhouse, then I think we create jokes about it. And so some of them are pretty bad, pretty off color, uh, or they're the d- d- dark humor that um, that we talk about. And some of it, you know, is, is actually pretty funny uh that happens to you know the people that we so i think humor is an important element in our um uh, in the fire station so i i i you know we're at like 53 minutes or so um we're, we're getting kind of to the point of wrapping up 
but I, I really want to focus on, okay, so where do we start? Do we, you know, where do we start if you're just watching this and you say, okay, so what do I do? Do I evaluate? Do I survey? Do I write policies? Do I jump to training? Do I just ignore it? Do I ask people, do we have a problem? What's our first steps where people should change their fire department, look at their fire department? We'll go in a circle and use these as kind of closing notes. So starting at least on my top left with Kurt. Yeah, I I think we've got to train our officer corps. And, you know, whenever you talk about training, you've got to have curriculum development. So that, I guess, is where you start. But we've got to train our officer corps to recognize, and I use the metaphor of a lightweight wood trust building, to recognize that um, not every employee is the same. Uh, Nine out of our 10 employees are going to be like that fire-resistant building. Uh, and they're going to be able to handle the jokes, handle the things, the ups and the downs of the job. One out of 10 there is going to, you know, potentially uh, misinterpret things um, and not not intentionally. This is this is not about anybody being malicious in what they do. It may appear to be that they're, you know, they're, they're malicious, but they're not. But we've got to recognize that. And that we want, we need our officers to intervene, whether that one out of 10 uh, party is being a bully or being the perpetrator of over the top pranks and jokes and that kind of thing, or they're the victim uh, and they're claiming to be the victim and and, uh, taking that victim stance. Um, One of the good things about it is that you should be able to see this in the person. If you're, if you're paying attention, you see it because it's not new. This has been part of their personality probably since they were about five years old. So uh, it probably carried them through. One of the reasons why I am intimately familiar with this is I uh, look at lawsuits. And when I see a firefighter in a magazine or newspaper or online that has been involved in a lawsuit, I try to get a copy of the lawsuit. When I search their name in the legal database, I see that they filed lawsuits before they became firefighters. They maybe filed two or three lawsuits while they were firefighters. Now that they've left, they're involved in a a bunch of different uh, legal proceedings as well. And now they're suing the fire department because they they either quit or they were fired or whatever it may be. These people have had sort of lifelong problems, either as bullies or as victims, either either side. And that we've got to get our company officer corps trained up to the point where they can recognize the problem employee and, and not further discriminate against them. On the contrary, we've got to realize that we've got to customize our leadership to them, to, to their needs. And certainly the chief uh, chief officers then who are going to handle it uh, also got to be up to the, uh, the task as well. You know, it's interesting. You said, I'm going to turn to John next, but one of the things you said is what I'm aware of back from the bullying lecture you guys gave a long time ago is there are three stages to become to becoming a bully. The first is you're bullied. The second is you're the bystander watching other people be bullied to see what you went through, but you see the indoctrination. And then the third stage is, okay, now you're the bully. Now you're in charge of continuing that ritual. So yeah. we, you know, right, this is a lifelong problem that we have. Yeah. And and one, one point I, I, on bullying I would make, I have yet to meet someone who says, yes, I, yes, I was bullying. Now, maybe years afterwards, yes, but in the moment, no bully thinks they're a bully. And that, that in and of itself says we're dealing with people who have an issue that they they 
uh, the four of us looking at a fact pattern can say that was clearly bullying. This person doesn't see it. John, closing up. I think that um, this is probably one of the best shows we've ever done. <laughs> I think we've, we've ranged from you know, volunteers like to. I know it. I keep blanking out. I'm checking my line speed. I'm. That's why we're so good. Anyway, I think it's, <laughs> and even even uh, Chip holding up his little prop there backwards. I thought that was pretty good too. So you have no idea, John. Chip said it right. The people that are supposed to be here aren't here, right? They're not going to listen to the show. And so we can make a change. So let me let me paraphrase this. The, does a lawsuit change the fire service? And, and I, I would say not really. I think what happens is when we take a look at the litigation that goes on, People don't learn from other people's mistakes, right? So if you have a harassment claim or you got a discrimination claim or a wrongful hire or promotional issue, you know, there are certain steps that are brought out in court that, you know, the, the department failed to follow. And so would a, an astute fire chief or an astute fire commissioner or officer take a look at the case law um, that, you know, is, you know, liberally placed on Kurt Verone's blog, which is, you know, my students use you all the time as a reference, a resource when they're writing papers. Are they learning the lessons that are, that are brought up? So I think in a global sense, litigation really doesn't change a hell of a lot, right? I think what it does, it changes the moment in time for that fire department and enriches people. And then does the department go on and heal itself or does it, you know, improve performances? And sometimes you see multiple litigations in the same department because they just don't learn it, right? And so I think that one, one of the things that we are trying to do as attorneys and humorists and psychologists is to improve the conditions of firefighters and, and the fire service in general. And by, you know, doing these classes and lectures and writing papers and whatnot, um, you know, the question is, do, are we reading, reaching the right audience? And, and I'm not so convinced that's, that's the case. So the question is, What's the answer? You know, how do we improve the fire service through, you know, legal maneuvers or uh, challenges to the system? Or how do we improve, you know, the entry of firefighters coming in and how do they, you know, come in healthy, mentally? And, and I think that, um, you know, these shows are probably a microcosm of, of trying to improve the conditions of, of the fire service. Shit. Speaking of All microcosms. Right. So, <laughs> Thanks, John. you know, I, I, writing down just a list, I, I thought about I thought about the fact that, you know, starting off from a general premise was we, we need to, thinking overall, I, you know, I think we talked about the beginning, or I mentioned about increasing the diversity in the workplace force and having that reflect our communities, which I think is important. But when we do that, we tend to increase the number of protected classes, which then set us up for those potential claims where people are going to use their protected class status as a crutch or again, somebody's going to use that as, as a target. I think it was interesting with Kurt talking about prior lawsuits, you know, background checks may be part of that that we need to consider what is the person's litigation history? Um, 
regardless, we're still going to have some some folks come into the fire service that are that we're going to have to deal with. And in that case, there should be a policy in place that deals with harassment. The policy doesn't do us any good unless we educate our officers, our supervisors on how to utilize it, how to enforce it, how to manage it. We need to take surveys on occasion. Brad mentioned that because we need to know whether we're being successful or not. We train our officers, but that doesn't gauge whether or not it's being effective. So we need to know, we just can't educate them. We need to know, is it working? Are the revisions that we have to make to that? And at the end of the day, I I, I get back to the, the point I've tried to make throughout this, which I think goes hand in hand with what we've talked about in terms of gauging different people, is you have to know your people. If you're a supervisor, you have to know what works, what motivates, what turns people on and off, you know, what what's going to help them succeed. And, and if you don't pay attention to that, if you don't really take care about your folks and you're just there to do your job, you're going to have problems. So that's that's my two cents. I, I think I'll end by saying, you know, I, I really do believe that lawsuits change the environment. Um, you know, look at DEC environmental lawsuits. I mean, there, there are so many lawsuits that do have a impact. Um, and, you know, I look back to Billy Goldfeder and fly, firefighter close calls and all these, um, you know, we almost need to start adding lawsuit issues to firefighter close calls. We, we have a lot of them, but, but when we start to rip the bandaid off and reveal the problems, um, like Kurt does with law, Stat or 911, um, firefighter close calls, all these things start to recognize and say it's okay to talk about a problem. That's really why I go back to firefighter close calls, right? It's okay to talk about crap. I almost really killed somebody, right? I almost screwed up. So we can recognize the safety issues. Well, this is a safety issue. And, you know, I, I keep going back to Nicole Mittendorf, who took her own life after being bullied and winning a lawsuit on bullying and harassment, she wins the lawsuit and she still takes her own life to see what these things do. And I, I hope that, uh, I think my final comments, I hope that these lawsuits, look, don't happen, but they're going to happen because we're not going to stop quitting our pushing things to the limit, pushing our jokes and our comments and whatever to the limit. We're not going to do that. And, and I, we're not going to stop doing that. And I recognize there's good reasons to bully and harass and joke. I understand the validity to the rationale to do that makes you one of our team members, et cetera. But on the other hand, it has life ending ramifications, right? The Nicole Mindorfs, the people who are going to take their own lives. We don't need, and I, and this is where I end uh, in two comments. One, we don't need you, Mr. Firefighter, to determine who should be in our fire department. You are not the screening committee you are not the longevity committee to see if you fit into our fire department, right? You're not the gatekeeper. We have standards to be the gatekeeper. We don't need your attitude to be the gatekeeper. We don't need your jokes and bullying to determine who should go further, who should graduate the academy and, and get promoted, et cetera. So I think if we don't have the lawsuits, then we wouldn't have these discussions. We wouldn't have the close calls. We wouldn't have the, this is why you need to. And unfortunately, some people need the hammer, right? And if you want your career to end because you harassed somebody or you discriminated or you're listed as the defendant in the lawsuit, you ain't getting hired anywhere, right? You're the problem. And your is it worth your career? So here's my lesson. If, if we can't convince you through lawsuits, let's convince you through the internet. 
what you do will be all over the internet. If you don't stop it, if you don't, if you think that you're the gatekeeper and that you need to um, show your justice on to others, right? That, well, you're not, you shouldn't be in the fire service. Well, guess what? Your way of doing things is going to be, you know, case number 101 on every website there is and your career is over. Is it really worth it? So I hope lawsuits matter. I hope these discussions matter. I hope our lessons matter. Um, you know, we all love the fire service. We want to see it continue. And how else do we see it continue but for solving what's wrong with it? Uh, and we need to rip the Band-Aid off and talk about what's wrong with it. And I hope, I, I thank fire engineering for allowing us to have these types of conversations because a lot of people in the fire service wouldn't, right? A lot of um, a lot of entities just wouldn't. And I, I will only because I have the stage at the moment. Um, you know, I, I got to speak at the uh, Fire and Women Conference, which was so, so much fun. And part of my topic was on discrimination, harassment, and firehouse, mostly quoting, you know, Kurt's stats. And... They all came up to me after and said, great lecture, but you're preaching to the wrong choir. And I thought, yeah, how, how do we get people to listen? So on maybe on our next show, we'll talk about that issue. How do we get people to listen? Um, you know, how do we get people to tune in literally and think about it? But for now, I want to thank Kurt Verone, John Murphy, Chip Comstock, and myself, Brad Pinsky. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. I love having this live thing. John is going to get so much better internet. I mean, he got a new cell phone at one point. He'll probably going to get better internet now. Um, so to hear this, and I, we really, we thank you from all of us and uh, look forward to seeing you on the next edition of Fire Service Court video. I guess we are now. Thank you. 